This week's episode is sponsored by Mixers, individually packaged vitamin drink mixes that give you vital nutrients in a quick, effortless, and delicious mocktail form made for all of our women babes by babes. Our goal and mission is to have conversations that uplift and empower everyone to reach their potential, know their ultimate goodness, recognize their babehood, and use their voice for good. To do that, we could all use a little more energy and a boost, and that's why we love Her Power. Her Power is a non-stimulant energy supplement that provides stamina, concentration, mental support, and mental clarity. Struggle with racing mind and anxiety or feeling constantly tired? Uh, I do. Her power is your answer. Show up in life focused on point, full of energy, but without the crash and habit forming behaviors that caffeine can cause. If you want a little more energy and a little boost, follow the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree and use code mixhers-babes. That's M-I-X-H-E-R-S-babes for your 10% off your order. You can even use it on your first month of subscription, which gets you 20% off. So add our 10% code and the 20% off subscription code for a total of 30% off and give Mix Hers a try. We're your hosts, Dana and Kara, and this is From the Mouths of Babes. Hey, babes, welcome back. Today, Dana and I are joined by Jessica Smith. She runs the Instagram account Milkmaids Honey, as well as a YouTube channel and her own podcast, which the podcast is called Behold Thy Mother. Um, She has grown up her whole life in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and she served her mission in Poland from 2014 to 2015. Jessica graduated from BYU in 2020 with a bachelor's degree in ancient Near Eastern history with a Hebrew Bible emphasis, which is so cool. Uh, Later that year, she and her husband moved to Norway, where he was born and raised. From her experiences around the world, she's been privileged to witness the Lord, that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and yet so keenly and individually attuned to the needs of each culture, tongue, and people. Jessica uses her degree in Hebrew to explore the lore and linguistic origins of the scriptures. She makes her journey to find the feelings and emotions in between the lines and add a woman's voice to the critical analysis of stories we love and cherish as the word of God. She ponders our mother God and traces her within the scriptures. And she shares what she can of her personal heart and testimony of the truths of the everlasting gospel and the plan of happiness that has been given to us as a gift from loving heavenly parents. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Norway. We're just so excited to have you. I ran across your Instagram semi-recently and just, it spoke so deeply to my heart and I knew that we had to have you. So thank you so much for uh, giving up your night (laughs) to spend it with us. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. And can I just say you have the most perfect name ever for your podcast from the mouth of babes. I love that so much. And I have to tell you, I actually, when I, I just want to tell you guys, when I was thinking of what name I wanted to pick for my account back in 2020 out of the mouth of babes, like some rendition of that was the other option. And I just felt like this just isn't it. That one is just not for me. And so 
I'm just so happy and honored to meet the ones that it does fit because I've always thought, man, that is such a great name. So I'm really excited that you guys picked it. Oh my gosh, that's really cool. I know. Clearly we're kindred spirits. We're meant to be. No, we really are. I just, I seriously admire anyone else who can understand the wittiness and the poetry of the name. So I'm really happy you picked it. Well, speaking of names, I want to know the story behind why you picked Milkmaid Honey. So can you give us a little (laughs) background on that? Yeah, totally. I always wonder what people think when they first see the name. And I wonder if it makes sense initially or if it takes a minute to ponder. And if that's a good thing, if it takes a minute to ponder. But um, Milkmaid's Honey came from the idea of milk and honey. Um, I really just wanted to create a space that felt like a real safe haven. I really wanted to have a a place where I could share my thoughts on the in-between between the scholarly world and Sunday school, things that I wouldn't necessarily raise my hand and say and and spend time talking about that are maybe a little bit more nuanced for church on Sundays, but also things that would be inappropriate to share in the scholarly sphere because they are, you know, tender to my heart and they are my thoughts and my feelings and and the way that I do apply the things that I learn to the things that I spiritually ponder as a woman. I called it milkmaids, honey, because I really wanted to highlight that this is a feminist take on the scriptures and that this is a woman's journey through the Old Testament. And I wanted to really emphasize all women's voices women who read the scriptures, as well as the women who appear in the scriptures, the heavenly woman herself too. When I approach the scriptures, I, I don't read them like I would read a textbook. I, I read them and I cherish them like I used to climb up on my parents' bed and, and cherish Harry Potter with them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I don't believe the scriptures are factual or are true. I absolutely typically tend to take the standpoint that the scriptures are mostly true and that these miracles really did occur. But I think that something that really throws people off when they approach the text is that it's either 100% true or it's 100% fiction. And I just think that that's not what matters from these stories. And um, I, I really do cherish the scriptures like I cherish a fairy tale and the things that I learned from Cinderella, the bravery that I learned from women and heroines of the folklore that we've passed down and that we turn into films, that same kind of beauty and poetry is what I'm trying to pull out of the scriptures. And so calling it Milkmaid's Honey was kind of a bit of a nod to that fairy tale approach and essence there's this Rodgers and Hammerstein song from Cinderella where she's singing in my own little corner in my own little chair I can be anything that I want to be and she says either a Norwegian princess or a milkmaid and I'm not a Norwegian princess so I figured that I could pass as a milkmaid (laughs) so that's kind of the full origin story of the name I know there's a lot packed into it but I like that 
I like a name with a lot of symbolism attached to it, healing and fairy tales and folklore and, and also just this very spiritual idea of finding milk and honey, peace and healing and joy in approaching spirituality. I love that so much. I think it's really interesting that, and really wonderful that you are creating a space for women's voices in the scriptures. It can, I think be, there can be a famine, if you will, of times of, and like information about women in the scriptures. Um, I think a lot of women, especially now are vocalizing their search for signs and clues of women to look up to in the scriptures. Um, they're looking for signs and clues of, of a mother in heaven, um, and examples of divinity that relate to them specifically, right. As women. And so I think that there has been a wonderful change in us acknowledging that divine femininity and her personage. And I think for me personally, it's been a little overwhelming to know where to start of how to find her. I think typically the conversation has always been that, oh, we, we don't talk about a heavenly mother because she's sacred. And so we've kind of almost put her in the background and don't even think about her. I know I can only say that for myself personally, that I haven't really developed that strong of a relationship with her because of us saying like, Oh, well, she's sacred. We don't talk about her. Um, but I think that does a huge injustice to the type of relationship we can have with her. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious for you to share your personal journey in finding heavenly mother and developing that relationship. Um, and maybe other people who are listening that can give them some insight into where to start as well. There's definitely layers to this. I think that the first place that someone could start is for everyone listening to just think about the way that you first developed a testimony of God, the father in, in general, or even just your belief in a higher power. Where did that come from? How did that start? How did you feel connected with God? How did you learn about him? There's not a lot that the scriptures say about God the Father, but there's quite a lot that we learn from the example of Jesus Christ. And I would say that there are signs when you look throughout the life of Jesus Christ of of a tender and an intense maternal influence, just as much as we see him credit the father for having an influence on him. For everyone starting to think about how to draw nearer to Heavenly Mother, I think the first thing that I would say is to think about where your testimony of God the Father came from and what were the steps that you took to feel closer to him and to really feel that you were his child and that he had an intimate and individual bond with you. For myself, I would say that my journey coming to know Heavenly Mother began when I started my journey to know myself. Right when I turned 19 years old, when I submitted my papers to serve a mission and I got my mission call to Poland, I would say that was 
the beginning of my journey to really coming face to face with my heavenly mother, because it was the beginning of my journey coming to know myself really for the first time ever. And having been outside of my parents' home, having put myself in the world and and not just having had a year in college, but then going out quite outside of my comfort zone on this grand adventure, it was really the first time that I had the chance to look at who I was and she was there. And I wanna tell you about an experience that I had while I was sitting on my bed in Warsaw. In Warsaw, Poland, I lived in an apartment complex that was one of the communist blocks. And when I say that, I mean, they are tall, they are looming, they are gray, they are so sad. Um, But the location of it used to be in the Jewish ghetto that used to exist in Warsaw. And it was a particularly gloomy um, time in my life to live in Poland and to serve there. And I often felt like I was struggling to find the light, but I was sitting on my bed in Warsaw and I had scattered before me letters from my family, one letter from my sister, Jen, a letter from my mother and a hymnal. I wanted to choose for my personal study to translate from Polish into English. Um, I am a child of God and use that for my language study. As I was sitting on my bed, looking at the letter that my sister had written to me, she had served her mission a few years before. And she told me that there were times on her mission where she felt an echo of Heavenly Mother. And she encouraged me to take what peak I wanted to into that relationship with her. And she didn't say very much, but I remember that that stood out to me very poignantly. She had sent this to me weeks before in the MTC and I had read through her letter again on this day. I don't know exactly why, but I then received a letter from my mother. And as I was reading through it, um, I was thinking a lot about her and I was thinking a lot about the influence that she had on me and the choices that she made in her life that had gotten her to the point that she was at and had gotten me to the point that I was at. Um, My mom in that transfer, I learned was struggling with breast cancer. And so my mom was very heavily on my mind, um, my earthly mom. And I think that it's, it's profound that it was at the prompting of my sister, at the prompting of another woman's voice who was also a daughter of the same mother, um, that this encouragement to think about Heavenly Mother came. And as I was sitting on the bed, looking at I am a child of God, I just remember feeling a very powerful pulse of the spirit, um, singing softly and looking at these words, understanding the nuances of them, not just in the English language, but also in another language, really added weight to every single word and every lyric. And as I thought about it, I just kept... I kept feeling again and again that I had a heavenly mother, heavenly parents together, united as a couple who were so proud of me. And I can't really explain, I can't really explain the experience other than it just felt like a very visionary moment where I closed my eyes and I I felt like I just saw myself 
And I saw myself and my dreams of who I wanted to be in the heavens after this life. And I saw my family, my future family. I, I just had this experience sitting on my bed humming, I am a child of God. And I saw me and I saw my husband and I saw my baby on either side of me. And I felt light just flowing into me. And I had the distinct impression come into my mind that surely, Jessica, there is no greater calling or expectation or dream or mission that you will serve in your life than to be a queen and a mother and a wife in your own right. And I felt the most profound connection to my heavenly mother in that moment because I for the first time in my life saw who I really wanted to be. It was my truest self and it was with my family. And I think that having that experience really opened me up to the beauty and the glory and the reality of our heavenly mother because she too is a woman like me. And when I could see myself when I understood that I'm made in her image, that was the first experience that I had of having a really breathtaking imagination of who my heavenly mother really was and the dreams that she had for me and the honor that she had for my dreams. And what's special to me about that experience is how it was at the prompting of my sister that I started thinking about this and that it was, you know, even, um, even in the tragedy of something really terrible happening to my mother and her recovering from cancer and the fear of losing her, that I found this beautiful relationship with my mother. And I remember at that moment, in one of the darkest places in the world, in the gray of the communist blocks and in the sorrow that lingers in the air, in the atmosphere in Poland for everything that's happened to that land, I just remember this outpouring of the sun. That's the best way I can describe it. And I remember my companion walking in the room a second later and she saw me just kind of sitting there like staring into the distance like a, like a total freak. And she just looked at me and she said, whoa, Shostro, or whoa, sister, you're glowing. And I just thought to myself, wow, that's that's so interesting that she could see this feeling that I felt inside of my heart. And I didn't tell her what I was thinking about, but I remember carrying that with me and carrying it to the town square. And we had, we had this amazing and joyous activity in the town square. And I remember feeling so much bravery. I barely spoke Polish. This was my first transfer. I had only been there for a few weeks. And I remember just shouting and singing out as it were just shining as brightly as I could. And that was actually the first day that I met my husband. He also served in Poland. And he tells me that that was his first memory of me was that day. And he said, I don't know what it was about you, Jessica, but you were just shining. Um, I'm so sorry. I know that was such a long story, but what's so beautiful to me about this experience is that I had this beautiful vision of who I wanted to be and who I wanted at my side. And I was filled with so much light. And that was the same day that I met my husband for the first time and he could also see that light. And having stepped into marriage and closer to my dreams, um, the more I progress throughout life, 
the more I step into the kind of woman I want to be, the more eager I am to find Heavenly Mother and the more I do find her and understand her through my mission, through adulthood in general, through marriage, through motherhood. I have really found so much more about her as I found out a lot about me. So that was the start of my journey and it's just progressed as I have gone on through life naturally wondering how this heavenly woman feels about the experience I'm having as a woman on earth. I love that. Yes, me too. I just relate so much to that. I think that for me, my journey to really connect to Heavenly Mother happened a few years ago and I was in a really dark place. Um, I was uh, going through a lot of trauma and some of the trauma I guess it's just hard. Like, I just have to like say it because for context, I can't really talk around it anymore. So my husband had come out as experiencing same-sex attraction. So that felt like a direct attack on my femininity and my identity as a woman to give value to me. And so I had to kind of, like you said too, I had to find myself and I had to find my value as a woman. And I just remember sitting on an airplane, listening to kind of this like hippy dippy podcast. And they were just talking like about mother earth and mother nature, just using the, those terms over and over again. And I just had this like prompting that our mother in heaven is with us. And she's so like tangible on the earth. She's here. And it and I had this thought like, hmm, I wonder if she took some of her essence, her energy and put it into the earth. And that's where the terms mother nature and mother earth come from, because literally she took parts of herself to nurture us and to hold us and protect us while we're here. And I was just like, yeah, that feels like true to me. That's like gospel according to Kara, but like that feels like some truth. And then a, a little while ago, I was just messing around on Instagram and you had an Instagram story pop up where you talk about um, the ancient text of the Enuma Elish and that the divine feminine in the creation, create like the earliest creation story is that the mother God and the father God, and they separated the waters and used their energy. And it just was like, whoosh to me. But like, I think that there is, truth to this random little prompting that I had. And we just kind of forget and lose them over generations of generations that she's been there. And so that's kind of like full circle, like, and it just, as women, I feel like we have to go through this like refiner's fire of finding our value as a woman and finding ourselves. And that's how we come to know our heavenly mother. And I know that men also can go on that search as well, but I just want to thank you for putting the effort into all the research that you do and sharing your parallelism that you find and making those connections because it's like, that's how my brain works too. And so thank you. So I, I would love for you to talk about some of your favorite symbolism uh, of our mother God, our mother in heaven that you've found in your study and in scripture? 
Well, thank you so much for just sharing that and for opening up your heart. I feel like that was such a beautiful story. And I love seeing how truth really does manifest itself to all of us. And I, I think that there's something there. One of my favorite podcasters today is Mandy Green. I don't know if you know of her or if you follow her, but I highly recommend her podcast. It's called Reflecting Light. She also teaches classes online that go through all of these things in a way that's so much more thorough than I could. But she, um, she always says, if there is a thread that you can pull and it keeps pulling, then there's something there and it, it's worthwhile to look into. So what you said about Mother Earth is exactly one of my favorite symbols. And I'm so happy that you brought it up because I've been pondering that today as I've been thinking about this episode about how really my first testimony of the father came when I was reading Moses 7. I was 13 and cracked open the Pearl of Great Price, very intimidated to read the scriptures because I just wanted something short and <laughs> the Pearl of Great Price looks short and little did I know that it's very jam-packed with a lot of depth, but I love it. So when I was reading Moses chapter six and particularly chapter seven, I remember hitting that point where God is weeping and Enoch sees it and he's shocked. God, the father of us all could be weeping as the rain upon the mountains. And I remember feeling blown away as a 13 year old girl that a father God could feel that much emotion. And I just instantly felt a connection with God in that moment. I, I feel like, you know, I was, I was aware. I don't know how keenly I was aware at 13, but I was aware that we live in a world where masculinity discourages the emotions of things. And, you know, even in our approach to the scriptures, I think that we take the feelings and toss them out of there. But I, I felt a real relationship with God the Father when I felt his pain and when I felt his sorrow. And um, that's really the first time that I felt a connection with God. And so in that same chapter is this entire discussion, even lengthier than the verses that discuss the father weeping. There's this discussion and this outcry from Enoch wondering when mother earth will rest. And she is depicted as weeping as well. And so this is an incredible parallel because in ancient Mesopotamia and throughout ancient mythologies and other nations, you do have this consistent theme of a father god in the sky and a mother goddess in the earth. Even in Greek mythology, the story of Persephone, her father was Zeus, the lord of the sky. Her mother was Demeter, the goddess of the harvest and of the earth. In Enuma Elish, you do have a father god and a mother goddess and, and her body, this mother goddess later does morph into the earth. So I think it's beautiful that these themes are reflected in Moses 7, that you have this father in the sky who's weeping. He's crying out in pain and you have this earth who calls herself a mother. And she says, I am the mother of the sons of men. And she's weeping. This is of course metaphorical. I don't believe the heavenly mother is actually the earth. I think that it's metaphorical in nature, but I absolutely believe there is a thread to be pulled associating her with the earth. And that symbol is so potent. It's so powerful when we consider the beauty of nature around us and 
even the concepts of Zion and the promised land being a land flowing with milk and honey. Imagine the breast milk of a mother as that very milk and that very honey that sustains our life and nurtures us. And Zion is always constantly described as a bride. And so this location, this safe place that I even wanted to emphasize in my name, Milkmaid's Honey, I see Heavenly Mother constantly symbolized in this notion of a safe haven in the earth, in the promised land, in Zion, even in the temple, in all of these things. So in Moses 7, all of those symbols really tie together. And um, I think it's beautiful that it, it does so in parallel to what we see of the Father's personality. So one thing I love that you share also is that, and if I get any of this wrong, please correct me, but so you've talked a lot about these archeological records that prove that there is a mother in heaven. And I believe she's referred to as Asherah. Asherah or Asherah. Okay. Whatever you'd prefer. But she is the symbol of a tree, right? It's an Asherah tree. So the symbolism that you so perfectly worded is, you know, we have this symbol of a tree, which equates to mother in heaven. And something I love that you said is that that symbol is comparable to like the McDonald arches. Like when you see like the McDonald arches, it's like, oh, we, we know it's McDonald's. So that tree is like right away, um, connects us to heavenly mother and how there are different examples throughout the scriptures, whether that's Adam and Eve story, whether that's the tree of life, um, Christ in Gethsemane, that as we take that symbol of the tree, we recognize that the scriptures are probably talking about her a lot more than we realize. But my question is, is that you talk a lot about feelings and your impressions. And I think a lot of us, you know, with Kara's experience, um, I have had my own experience and it was very feeling heavy feelings can often be very subjective. So how do we find the balance between like factual evidence in scripture that refer to a mother and heaven versus just like feelings and symbolism? Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. What I would say is that, you know, of course, archaeology can't prove that there's a heavenly mother. Just, it can't prove that there's a God in general. But what archaeology does teach us is that it was popular among the Israelites to be worshiping this mother goddess who was ad- adopted from the Canaanite pantheon. The Canaanites lived in the land of Israel before the Israelites did. They came in from their exodus with Moses and with Joshua and took over the land. And because of that, and because they were surrounded on all sides by these polytheistic religions, of course, they were influenced by their gods. Um, Asherah, before she was Asherah, was Atirat. Before that, she was Asratum. She'd been around for a long time. And the way that the Israelites adapted her was according to their beliefs likely we can assume she would not have been exactly the same cookie cutter as the Canaanites because she had to fit the mold of the ideologies of the Israelites um but we do know that she was widely worshipped 
We know that from archaeological discoveries, as well as from the text itself in the Bible. Um, and the reason why that is so important is because we have to understand the culture and the influences and the worship practices of the people who wrote the Bible that we have, because we are really at their mercy for what we know of our heavenly parents. So when we see scriptures that talk about trees, yes, I did compare it. I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if that was the best metaphor, but, um, Yes, I did relatable. compare it to, yeah, relatable. Yeah, totally relatable. It, it resonated with me, so. Good, I'm glad that it resonated. Yes, I did compare it to the McDonald's arches that whenever we see mention of a tree, especially if there's feminine imagery surrounding that tree, that should send an alarm bell in our minds to see if there's a thread that we can pull there. Um, there's a lot of nuances there, even in, Isaiah, he, he says in one of the first chapters that he wrote, you shall be ashamed of, of the oaks which you have worshipped. And he's making a little nod there to the popularity of the Asherah cult, the oaks referring to the trees. That word for oaks in Hebrew is, is a homonym for the word for gods, for Elim. Um, and so both Elim the Oaks and Elim the Gods is being referenced there. And so we see signs of her in places that in the English we may not realize is a reference to Asherah. My question, piggybacking off of that, though, is that like, obviously you have studied extensively and mm -hmm. have a lot of background in Hebrew translation and, and all of that. And so I get a little intimidated, but how can the average Jane see these parallels and this symbolism if they are searching for that? Or do you feel like a deeper study into Hebrew and things like that is the only way that you're going to draw these parallels? Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. So I think that the study of Asherah, understanding her in mythology is important and is a worthwhile study because her cult influenced the writers who are writing the Bible. And so anytime that we see trees appear, you don't necessarily have to be an expert in Hebrew. I think it's worthwhile if you do consider the Hebrew yeah. um, to find nuances and poetic hints at her. Um, but sometimes she's a little bit more obvious in the writings of Jeremiah, the queen of heaven. But for the average person seeking a connection with heavenly mother, of course, you don't need to know everything about world history to connect with your mother God. Of course, you don't need to do that. I do think that the study of Asherah is worthwhile. It's an interesting thread to pull and it's fascinating to look into if you're looking for a deeper understanding of what influenced the writers. If you can understand their code, if you can understand the symbols and the imagery that they're using, it's worthwhile to try to do as much research as you can to, to understand that a little bit better. Um, the Lord is constantly counseling us to understand the words of Isaiah, and he speaks poetically and in nuances all the time. So I know that it is very difficult for us, even for me, it's incredibly difficult to read the scriptures and understand exactly what meaning can be derived from them or where I can find signs or traces of heavenly mother 
at the base, all that we need to do is pray to the Lord. And I know that he will teach us all things, the truth of all things. And we can have a relationship with our heavenly mother in our day-to-day life. And even as we ponder in whose image we, we think we've been made, when we take that time to ponder who we are, I think we learn a lot about her. When we learn about women in general, I think we learn about her and how to honor and cherish her. But I do think that it is imperative that we try to stretch ourselves. You don't have to be an expert in history. You do not need to be a linguist, but any basic information that you can glean about Asherah will give you context as to why there might be something interesting about scriptures that mention trees, like you brought up before the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, the sacred grove. There's a pattern here of a certain kind of power that trees seem to have. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom, this idea of intelligence is personified as a heavenly woman. There's this scripture in Proverbs 3 that specifically says, she is a tree of life to those that find her and and cling to her. And so anything that you can do to try to just open up to an introduction of who the Hebrew Asherah was will give you a greater understanding of going through the text. And I think even when it doesn't concern Heavenly Mother, we should try to do the best that we can to understand the context of these authors so we can get the most out of the text that we can. I think what I am gaining from this conversation as we've talked through this is I love this idea that you say of, of pulling a thread and how it starts from us engaging in sincere study and pondering. And that this is the case for, I think any spiritual growing that we will have is that it does require work and effort on our part. If we want to develop the relationship, if we want to know and have experiences with the Lord, it requires work and effort on our part. When I think about my favorite authors and the stories that raised me and that influenced me so much, right now I'm, I'm thinking specifically about British poets and I'm thinking about Jane Austen mm-hmm. as a novelist. If we did not understand the context of her time to the best that we could, and, and even there are things that about her personal life that we can glean and we can see traces of them and parallels of them in her work and in her writing. Of course, any one of us can appreciate Pride and Prejudice. Of course we can, but we're not going to get the richness and the beauty and the depth of that story without the context we can glean. So anytime that we're interacting with a text, I just have to say it's important to try to try to stretch oneself Um, try so hard to learn what you can from history and have an open mind. But then ultimately at the end of the day, and we talked a lot about this actually in my program, it really, it doesn't matter. You could be the greatest scholar in the world. Nothing would matter without a seed of faith. And at the end of the day, every one of us can feel that connection with our heavenly parents if we choose to just think about them to just deliberately take space outside of our day. It could be connecting with nature. It could be doing the dishes. It could be just kneeling in a corner on the floor of your house. And it could be asking, are you there? 
And that's all that it takes to connect with the divine. And then if you put your mind to your pen and write your experiences, I think that those experiences are, you know, just as worthy as these ancient experiences too. I love that. In your personal opinion, I, th I think you've kind of in our conversation already kind of shared this, but why do you think it is so important for us to recognize then the divine feminine and in what ways have you seen by your study of her that it has changed the way you worship? Well, I think that we're a world that's starving for a maternal influence. And, you know, it just, when you take a look at the consequences of patriarchy and misogyny, when you look at the world that we have, and even when you compare it to the values that we claim we so strongly believe in as a church in families and the unity of family, the unity and the equality of husband and wife, I think that we're a world who's, you know, kind of had this this concept that we're only raised by a single dad and he's absolutely everything that we need. And, and all of that is true, but I, I just think that it could only add to our spirituality if we recognized a very real maternal, a, re, a very real divine maternal influence that has always been there, um, but that has been veiled from our eyes. And part of the beauty of seeking her in the scriptures is finding so much of this metaphor in the scriptures themselves. And in fact, when it talks about Zion and compares her to a bride and the Lord to a bridegroom, honestly, what, what I'm hearing, and even in Lehi's vision of the tree of life, when he looks and he sees his wife on the other side of this great chasm, and he's standing there by the tree, the scriptures are this great and mighty metaphor of reuniting the bride and the bridegroom, the husband and the wife, and sealing families together in perfect harmony. That's, that's what our temple endowment is all about. That's what the temple is for, is reuniting husband and wife and sealing their children to them. It is this majestic love story and romance. So, you know, we are... We are a world that's been without our mom, not because she hasn't been there. We're a world that's been without the acknowledgement of her. And I don't think that it changes her or changes truth or changes the Godhead for us to acknowledge her. She's always been there and she's always been glorious, but it changes us. And it's changed me as a woman in a very real way. It's helped me to understand with confidence who I am and that there is nothing that can touch my dreams when I have my heavenly parents by my side. It has not limited me to the things that, you know, the patriarchy would have me believe I'm limited to in my capacity as well as my purpose in this life and in the next. It makes me feel unlimited, unstoppable. And um, completely free to be the light that I've always been and always will be because she's my mom and she's by my side. And knowing that really does change everything.
that kindled my heart. Can't even take it. I just, I just find everything that you say just like so valuable and so rich in truth. And I know that it feels so true to you, but I just feel like everyone can find that thread in the examples that you share, like shared with us today and the examples you share on all of your platforms. And I love that the the visuals that you bring uh, when you talk about the temple and the primordial hillock and the trees and the water and, and make the connections like when, if, if our heavenly mother is water and the woman of the sea and things like that, um, which have been traditional um, visuals to describe her and Christ walking on the sea. And he went to her and he went to her in the garden of Gethsemane and, you know, he cried out father, why have you forsaken me? But his mother was always there. His mother was there during the hardest, most painful part of the atonement and crucifixion process. And I think that that just, that just feels like home the way when you talk about these things and your experiences. Well, and I think through it's, it's interesting a common pattern I've seen in Kara's experiences and your experiences, Jessica, and then thinking about my own experience. Similarly, when I was on my mission, I served in the South and I was serving in a really small town in Tennessee at the time. And I was going through a difficult time. I was feeling very alone. I was feeling really overwhelmed and similarly doubting a lot of the qualities I thought that I saw. And it was in that moment of doubt and going, I remember going into, it was a, it was a preparation day and I had just read an email that was like really heartbreaking to me. And I was feeling really sad. And I remember going and sitting in the chapel and praying and it was a very distinct feeling and difference. And by that, I mean, Like I had come to recognize what comfort felt from the Holy ghost and what, what I felt like comfort felt like from God, the father. But in this experience, it was a sweeter, tangible representation of comfort from a motherly figure. And I remember feeling that. And I think what's interesting in all of our experiences is that it comes in a lot of times of darkness, but the truth and what is illuminated to each of us is our purpose is the divinity within each of us. And that comes from her. And I find that so beautiful. And I would not be surprised if that is a common theme with other people who have sought her and have had experiences with her is that those types of experiences are similar. Yeah, absolutely. I I really think that they are. I loved what you shared and I loved what you said about how it's really often in times of darkness that we feel that closeness to her. And I have to say that um, in my life, you know, especially just the last few weeks, um, I just got over COVID and everything that happened in Ukraine happened like right in the middle of 
a day I was feeling particularly physically incapacitated. And, um, you know, I have just kind of been going through a lot of contemplation of just many moments in my life where I've just wondered like, why, 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 why? And I've been searching for a reason, just tirelessly looking for a reason. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And I, I have just kind of felt like my arms are bound, especially watching what's happening in the world right now, especially to a part of the world that is so close to my heart. I'm seeing the pain and the suffering and I I just felt this real like rage, like crying out for my body, but I can't do anything about it. And I've just wondered the reason. And that's I, that's, I think, why I love this comparison in the scriptures and in wisdom literature of, of heavenly mother to wisdom. Even if you think about, you know, the Greek prototype of uh, Athena, she's this manifestation of wisdom, intelligence, battle readiness and plans. I love this idea that in our trials and our darkness, there's not always a reason, but there's always wisdom if she is wisdom. And I've been feeling a lot more honor for the nurture of a mother. Being a mother myself, I can't save my baby from the pain that she'll go through and I can't make it stop. And I, I know that a heavenly mother can't stop the world from bleeding either. And I imagine there's a real rage that she feels probably wishing she could intervene, but I know that she does intervene when she has a place in our hearts. And, um, you know, those moments where we rise in darkness and those moments where we find light and bravery, those moments when we stand up again and when we learn, when we educate ourselves about what we're going through or what's going on, that education turns into empathy. It turns into something really powerful. And all of this derives from wisdom herself. Um, I think that there's something really beautiful about that. There's not always a reason for our darkness, but there's always a loving relationship to be found in those moments. Well, I just really appreciate this conversation and appreciate you, you being a living embodiment of her and you sharing your wisdom and your beauty and your grace. So thank you so much, Jessica, for coming on and, and sharing your heart, sharing your wisdom. And we would love it um, for our listeners to be able to go and connect with you. So, um, we will link her YouTube channel, her Instagram and her podcast as well, so that our listeners can go and dive deeper into some of the topics that we just barely touched on, because there's so much more that we can learn from them. And and I'm excited to go and explore that and invest the time as well. So thank you. And as you were talking, I just kept seeing you as the two pieces of yourself that you did. I see you as the incredibly hardworking, motivated milkmaid and the Norwegian princess with just the purest heart. So I just, I, I'm probably your new biggest fan. I'm probably going to fangirl and probably stalk you. So just thank you for sharing those incredibly beautiful 
parts of yourself with us today. I appreciate this so much. I appreciate you sharing your hearts with me so much too. And I really needed to feel that sisterhood today coming out of COVID and everything that's happening in Ukraine right now, the world feels heavy, but it also just feels so beautiful to see just so much goodness in people who rise up and, and they raise their voices for good things. So thank you for just bringing a lot of sweetness to my night into my life. Let's combine here some milkmaids, honey with some from the mouths of babes who, you know, drink that milk. No, that is awful. (laughs) Gold. (laughs) Love it. The liquid gold that comes from the milkmaids, honey, and the liquid gold that comes out from the mouths of our babes. Yes. The comedy gold that comes from our mouthy babes. Yes. Let's talk about that because in this heavy world, we can always count on our babes to give us something to laugh about. That's for sure. Hey, totally agree. Um, do you want me to start? Sure. Yes, sure. Okay. I'll start. Um, so let's go with this one. Okay. So my son Gavin is on the autism spectrum and he's a hoot, but he (laughs) slyly the other day came, uh, behind my husband and starts pulling his phone out of his pocket and he goes like taking candy from a baby and (laughs) ran away with his phone that's adorable Uh, I love that especially that he thought he was being so sneaky yeah you're like he got he immediately got in trouble like uh no you don't get the phones back off sir (laughs) so (laughs) Jessica, do you have a story that came out of the mouth of a babe that you know? Oh my goodness. I really, really wish, wish that I had. My daughter barely speaks. Obviously she babbles quite a bit. She's two, almost two and a half, two and a few months. And she, um, she's learning both Norwegian and English. So I've been told that this is normal and don't panic, but I do have to crack up. Like, honestly, this girl is like, I feel like it's skipped a generation. She reminds me of my mother so much. My mother has this thing where she's literally obsessed with ice cream, made my dad like promise when they got married. Like if I want ice cream any day, I get ice cream. And he, to this day has always kept that promise. And my daughter, I, I'm not the hugest ice cream fan, but we always have a little tub of Ben and Jerry's in the freezer because my daughter's first and like only words that she like repetitively and consistently uses are ice cream. So (laughs) yeah, anytime that she's been particularly good, she will run to the freezer and shout ice cream. And that girl knows what's good. So at least it's not, not Coke. I think a few of our like nieces and nephews, their first word has been like Coke. Coke, really? Mommy Coke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's probably better to have an ice cream addiction than a Coke addiction. So oh, that's great. It's funny. Uh-oh. Sawyer, the other day, we were staying with some friends at their house because we're actually getting ready to move to Portland, Oregon area. We were hanging out with them and her little boy who is uh, four, he goes to a Christian preschool 
And so he had one of those like slap bands, you know, that you like slap around your wrist and on it, it said, um, Jesus is my jam. So we kept, um, talking about his bracelet. And so Luke, my husband was putting Sawyer to bed and, and she says to Luke, Jesus is my jelly. That's a good one. I was just dying because I mean, of course, like she would equate to like jam and jelly. Like that's the same thing. So Jesus is my jelly. That's brilliant. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so. Well, Jessica, we're going to let you go. It's late in Norway. Thank you again for staying up with us and sharing your wisdom and your beautiful spirit. And we hope that our listeners can go find you and just keep learning from you. I know you just put a bunch of new videos on like today too, that you've been working on, um, on your YouTube channel. So thank you so much. We just totally appreciate you. 